Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. First off, I want to say thank you to Michael Sypek for filling uh, the space. Uh, while my wife and I were on vacation, we had a wonderful time uh, seeing all the ancient sites of Egypt. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And uh, I knew that with the team that we have here, everything was in good hands while we were gone, and I appreciate everybody who held the fort down. So thank you guys. Thank you, Michael, for preaching. Uh, I'm going to be picking up today in the series where, where Michael left off, and we already did. We, <laughs> half the sermon's been preached. Enjoy that. Um, the, where Michael left off, uh, the next story was the story of the, the calming of the seas. And then the story after that was the story of Legion and the casting out of the demoniac spirits. So, <clears throat> I guess, John, you're just going to have to roll with me here because I've already used a bunch of verses. So, um, the title today for today's message is Touching the Fringe. Touching the Fringe. And that has multiple meanings. Jesus, when he was here as in his physical form, in his, in his earthly ministry, he, he had, people had a hard time with him. You might call him fringy. He was on the fringe of what they considered orthodoxy, so much so that they tested him over and over and over again. And eventually, they hated his answers enough to, try to, to kill him. Jesus is always doing things that are on the fringe. So the big idea for this message is Jesus has the power. We already talked about the power to disrupt natural and religious laws to intervene on our behalf and rescue his children from the curse. Can anybody say amen? Let me read that again. Maybe maybe you'll be ready to go then. Jesus has the power to disrupt natural and religious laws to intervene on our behalf and to rescue his children from the curse. Thank you. I mean, come on. That's amazing. Jesus saves. It's a simple statement, but it's so profound when you start thinking. He saves. He came to save us from the curse. From the curse. Now, we were going to start with Mark chapter 4, verse 35, but we already talked about that. That was the calming of the storm, and it is highlighted in my notes, where the disciples said, do you care? And the reason it's highlighted at the front of my, my notes is this, because every story in this chain of stories deals with the concept of do you care? Do you care? Does Jesus care? Does God care? Remember what Jesus said? If you've seen me, Jesus is Jesus talking, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So when we, when we ask, does Jesus care, we're, ask, we're also asking, does God care? And Jesus shows up in some miraculous ways. He shows up over nature. He shows up over the demonic. And I love what John says. John says in verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, says, there are also many other things that Jesus did. 
which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Which gives me the image that Jesus is just boom, 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 doing miracle. Like every day things are just popping. Wherever he went, things were going on. So when we look at the book of Mark, which is where we're at, the book of Mark, we need to understand that these stories are selected to tell us something. Because there's all these stories out there. there there's, there's a, you know, so many stories that not even the whole world could contain the books that could hold those stories. So these stories are, are, are written down so that you and I might learn something about who Jesus is and how we live in this world in light of the incarnation of Christ. So, let's dive into another one of those stories. The, the stories are selected in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospels, I believe, to answer some questions. First one is the one we've been asking all morning. Does God care? Does God care? Another question. Is he powerful to save? Does God care? That's a really important question. And then if, he, if, he, if the answer is yes, does he have the power to do anything about it? And then the last question I think is one he asked directly to his disciples. Why are you afraid? Because if the answers are in the affirmative, yes, he does care. And yes, he does have the power. Then where does our fear come from? Where is our, this is the question he asked his disciples, where is your faith? So this passage that we're going to jump into is in uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, starting in verse 21. And this passage has two important stories sandwiched together. It begins with the story of a synagogue leader, the religious leader, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his daughter, a story that is interrupted by the story of a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. These two stories reveal an incredible aspect of the kingdom of God. Vindication for Christ's children and victory over shame and death. All right. Um, open your Bibles with me and let's read through this a little bit together. And then I want to read... Um, I was doing research on this story, and I came across this article by Betsy Barber um, back in 2011, and it's called The Tale of Two Daughters, and I just love the way she wrote it, so I'm going to read part of that to you and paraphrase the rest, but let's just read it right out of the text, and then we'll go back over it. Here we go. So Jesus is just leaving this miracle where he cast legion into the pigs, and it's interesting that Jesus was going to the Dicopolis to, to minister, and then he gets there at the, at the water's edge. He does this miracle, and then the townspeople come out and say, please leave. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want you here. Uh, please go. Please, please go. We don't have enough pigs for you to slaughter. Please leave. I mean, he, he, he harmed them economically. He really did. I mean, we're talking like a, a huge herd of pigs. 
I can't remember the number now. I, I can look it up. But, uh, it's, it's a lot. And they're all dead. I mean, maybe they could fish them out. and I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, no one wants to eat demon pig. Okay, no one wants to eat demon pig. Um, that sounds like a great, like, barbecue restaurant. Demon pig. You know. Um, but Jesus is he's laughing. <laughs> he left at the coppolis. He went back over the in a boat, went back over uh, to the other side. And he get again, he gets off the boat and he's confronted. He's confronted right away in verse 21. When Jesus crossed over again to by the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. You notice the trend here. People are falling at Jesus' feet for different reasons. And he begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now, I never quite understood that passage. Like, there's something that we have in the West, in America, called, like, personal space boundaries, bubbles of personal space, right? Like, you just don't, you don't crowd people like that. And then we went to Egypt. They don't have that. I'm not even joking. They don't have that. If, if there's an inch of space, people will fill it. With their cars, with their bikes, with their bodies, with the, there's no, like, we had this, like, personal space bubble in, a, in, in America. They don't have that. So now this makes a lot more sense. Jesus is walking through the streets, and they are just crushing to get near him. Verse 25, now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she was worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched the fringe of his clothes. For she said, if I touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus, realizing in himself that power had gone from him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, this is a very important word. He says, daughter. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Two seconds on this, and we'll keep going. What does he mean by that? Your faith has healed you. Did she work it up inside of her? Like, she had so much faith 
that she, you know, she just, I got so much faith. No, because Jesus asked the question earlier of his disciples, where's your faith? See, faith, we often in our culture think that faith is the thing that heals or the thing that does something. And we could just, if we just muster it up and we have, we have so much faith. It's not in the what, it's in the who. She didn't go up to a random dude and touch his garment. She went to Jesus. She heard some of those stories, just just a sampling of the many stories that the the world could not contain. And she said, "I, I believe that he has the power to fix what's going on in me. His, her faith made her whole, not because she had such great faith. And Jesus, and Jesus combats that even in his own age. He said, I'm telling you folks, you guys are all wrapped up in this faith thing. If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it would happen. And what he's being, he's being facetious when he says that because he says, your faith is even less than that, and it's going to work. Because it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's who you have faith in. Your faith is small. I'm big. So just direct your belief and your faith in the right person and know that I care, that I have the power to do, and it will be okay. Daughter. I love that. When he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Anybody ever felt like Jesus was too late? I have. Everybody feel like Jesus might have been somewhere else when he should have been with you? You know what I can't stand? It frustrates me. I'll be completely honest with you. When we have missionaries come to our church and talk about all the miracles that are happening in their country. I'm like, I, w- I, w- I want to see that. I want to see that. It seems like Jesus is over there instead of with me. Sometimes we feel like Jesus doesn't do things in the right timing, and tragedy comes, and we're like, where were you? While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue. Uh, verse 36. When Jesus overheard this, what was said, he told the synagogue leaders, don't be, a f- there it is again. There it is again. If, if death is not to be a f- something to be afraid of, then God's got power over everything. Can we, can we? I mean, storms, one thing, that's, that's pretty awesome. Demons, another thing, that's, that's pretty awesome. Physical, that's pretty awesome. But not even death. We don't have to be afraid of death. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. 
This is like a Star Wars reference right here because it's all according to a certain point of view. She's definitely dead. There's no mistaking she's dead. So why did Jesus say she's sleeping? Two reasons. He's trying to, I believe, he's trying to extend his ministry a little bit. Because everything's happening now, and it's, and, it's, and it's ramping things up, and it's pushing him towards the ultimate sacrifice that he's going to have to make. He keeps telling people, don't tell anybody about this. Please, just don't tell anybody about this. Because he knows as these things come out, it's going to, it's going to move the timeline forward faster than he wants it to happen. Secondly, death is not anything more than sleep to him. Because what happens when you, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's just like falling asleep and waking up. You fall asleep in this world and you wake up with God. It's just, it's, to, to Jesus, it's no big thing. Can you, can you get that? Death is not as scary to, to God as it is to us. To wake her up is not a big deal. Here we go. Why are you making a commotion? What did they do? They laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? Because he's dead. She's dead, I'm sorry. Because she's dead. They know. They're not stupid. They know what a dead body looks like. A She is dead. And he's saying, no, she's not. She's just sleeping. They didn't understand. They laughed at him, but he put them outside. He took the child's father, the mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Chum, which is translated, little girl, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. I have a 12-year-old little girl. I know, I get, I get a sense of what he might have been feeling. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Now, the word for astounded in the original mean, word, in the original language means astounded. They translated it properly. It just means like, uh, they had, I mean, they were just, their minds were blown. Completely blown at the power of this man. And they didn't even know all the stories that could have filled all the books in all the world. Their minds were blown. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them, give her something to eat. I appreciate that. After a long nap, I want something to eat too. No, what is this for? This is, a, this is an understanding that in some of their, their pagan ideas of religious and ghosts and all this stuff, that in order to prove that it was a physical like back from the dead, that food was necessary to prove that because ghosts can't digest food in their, in their understanding, right? This is religious 
dogma and, and ritual, right? So they give her something, to, he's proving it further. What did Jesus do when he came back from the dead? When he, when he raised, what did he do? He sat down and he ate with them. Because that was part of their, their, you know, superstitions of that time, is that somebody could come back from the dead uh, uh, spiritually but not physically, and that would be the test. All right. Let me read to you a little bit of this article. I think it's, I think it's really well written. written. Still had a little jet lag. The Tale of Two Daughters. And she says this. This is Betsy Barber. I have been sitting in the gospel of Mark for several days, and the tale of two daughters in Mark has caught my soul attention. You remember how the last, uh, last half of the cha- last chapter, Jesus has demonstrated his authority over creation by calming the storms and the sea of the disciples, as demonstrated his authority over evil by casting out legion of demons from the, uh, from the man, and now has once more crossed the sea and landed on the shores. Out of the crowd, Jairus, one of the rulers of the local synagogues and the man of faith, falls at Jesus' feet and begin, uh, begs him earnestly to come. His daughter, who is only 12 years old, is sick. Well, the great crowd of people take, uh, takes off with him and the two men and the disciples, and they are pushing and shoving and pressing upon Jesus. In the crowd is a woman of faith who had an issue of blood for 12 years. Notice the parallel here. The dying 12-year-old girl and the woman with 12 years of illness. For as long as this girl has been alive, this woman has had serious issues. And what a disease. According to Leviticus chapter 15, her issue of blood makes her unclean. She's unclean. So besides suffering this messy, painful, weakening physically condition that all her money spent on doctors has not cured, she is unclean as well. This means that her husband, and maybe even her children, cannot eat food she has cooked. Cannot sit on a chair upon which she has sat. Cannot touch her at all without becoming unclean themselves. She isn't allowed into worship services. Yet she listens to Rabbi Jesus and she responds with faith. Unclean or no, she knew that if she could just touch his clothes, she would be made well. Think about this for a second. The Mosaic law is reversed here. Rather than Jesus, the Lord Jesus becoming unclean and ceremonial, uh, uh, excuse me, unclean and contaminated by her, she is healed and purified by the holy power that resides in him. You can't make Jesus unclean with your problems. It can only go the other way. Come on now. You can, when you bring something to Jesus, you don't make him unclean. He immediately cleans you. Your shame, gone. Sometimes we're so ashamed to bring our garbage, our problems to Jesus, and he's saying, what, what is it going to hurt? It's not going to hurt me. I already know it. 
You remember when she touched him? He knew. He knew. He knew. This is who Jesus is. He is the Holy One, the healer. And soon this woman of faith pushes in closer, unseen from behind. She reaches out and touches his clothes, and immediately the flow of blood stops, and she feels her body is free of disease. After 12 long years of getting weaker and weaker, she is well, and she is clean again. Jesus turns around wondering what's going on, and then he finds, I, I believe this, cinematically, this is how it would go for me. He's scanning the crowd, and then he, boom, he locks eyes on the woman. And his words are, daughter, daughter, that's how Jesus feels about you. When he, when he sees, when you see him and he sees you, his heart is that of a father to a child. That's how he responds to you. He called her daughter. On the way to heal Jairus' dying daughter, Jesus stops and cares for his daughter. And he endorses her faith. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed. While Jesus is still talking with his daughter, through the crowd comes a messenger who Jairus did not know was approaching. They tell him, don't bother the teacher anymore. It's done. It's finished. She's dead. And I can just picture Jesus saying, don't call anything finished until I finish it. I'll tell you when it is finished. You don't tell me. Don't tell me when it's finished. I'll tell you when it's finished. Don't give up. It may be difficult. It may be hard. Don't give up. So he goes to the house, and there's people wailing and playing instruments. You know why? Not because they were sad, because they were hired. There was a tradition in that time that if somebody died, you would hire professional mourners. That's just weird, but it was, it's true. And the more war, mourners you had, it was a status symbol. Was, if you had lots of mourners, it meant you were very wealthy and you could you could really put together some good wailing, good gnashing of the teeth. And Jesus is like, what are you doing here? It's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. We've been hired. Trust us. We're here for a reason. Don't tell us. We know what death looks like. I can only picture him saying, yeah, but you don't know what life looks like. I'm about to show a few people what that looks like. Get out of here. Takes him upstairs. And the daughter of Jairus is laying there, white as a ghost. And Jesus reaches down and says, daughter, child, get up. 
Can you picture that moment? A 12-year-old girl who's been sleeping too long is very hyper. Trust me. I know. Boom. Can you imagine life coming back? Boom. Boom. That deadness in her eyes was replaced by a sparkle. And the parents are just freaking out. It's not done until he says it's done. I just skipped a whole bunch of this stuff. So, so let's end it with this. Jesus brings life to the dead, cleanliness to the unclean, and healing to the sick. Through salvation, he brings us life and holiness. His intent is to reverse the law of sin and death and to give us instead holiness and life. Life and purity radiates from him. And he gives them away freely. He is generous and always merciful. This has always been his characteristic way of responding to his daughters and sons. This is who he is. So where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Don't worry about the amount of faith. Don't worry about that. That'll work. Remember that, remember that guy who said, I believe Jesus, help my unbelief. The guy said, I have unbelief, help me with that. And guess what? Jesus was able to heal him. Jesus was able to heal at that moment. I can't remember if it was him or somebody for him. But Jesus didn't, didn't get, Jesus wasn't bothered because he didn't have this huge mountain of faith. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. It didn't stop Jesus. Don't worry about how big your faith is. Worry about how big your God is that you have faith in. Where is your faith? Are you sitting in a boat looking at the storm instead of looking at the one who can calm the storm? Are you standing on the shore overwhelmed by the legion of demons that has come against you right now? Or are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Are you sitting in an illness and you're looking everywhere else for the answers. Or have you brought it to God? Today we're going to do a baptism for six people. And this baptism represents death to life. We are buried with Christ and we are raised to new life. He even death is no thing for my Jesus. Amen. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have today to be encouraged by your word. Thank you for choosing these stories for us. And God, I pray today that you would help us to direct our faith to the one who cares, has the power, and sees us as his children. Lord, help us to be a people of faith, following wholeheartedly the one. Lord, help us to be 
bold enough to touch the fringe. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.